as, uh, as you saw in the video, uh, we, and, we and the SBC, which includes you uh, now, um, we, are the, we are very mission-minded. We have a heart to see people know the gospel and come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We're not content to, uh, to just get transfer growth. We want to reach people with the good news and have them come into the kingdom. And we are all a product of that, but I'll cover that in a little bit. I want to ask you, have you ever been, uh, I'm sure you have, and I just want you to think about, in a situation where you're driving along, you know where you need to get, it's some distance, and then there's something that stops you. Maybe it's, a, it's, a, it's an accident and they've blocked off the road. Maybe it's a, it's a fire and they have the fire trucks and so on. Maybe it's a detour or something like that. And so you, you do your best, you go around, maybe there's signs, maybe there's not, but then you encounter another obstacle. Or sometimes you're just tempted to go home, right? Is it really worth it to, to go where I'm trying to get? There's a passage in the New Testament, that, in the book of Acts, that just intrigues me. Because the Apostle Paul encounters something very similar, and how he responds to it just tells me tons of how you and I are to respond on our mission in life. In Acts chapter 16, we read in, in verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. Now this is Paul's second missionary journey. In his first missionary journey, they had set out from Antioch. They'd come across the Mediterranean to the island of Cyprus, had a tremendous ministry there. They crossed the Mediterranean again and went up to the southern part of Turkey, which we'll sometimes call Asia, and they reached the churches there, and they kind of worked their way back across what's modern-day Turkey until they got to Antioch to report to the church there. And so in, uh, in the beginning of Acts, at the end of Acts chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says to Barnabas, let's go back. Let's see how these churches that we planted are doing. Let's fellowship with the brothers there. And so they, in this case, they, they had a disagreement, and that's a whole other message. But Barnabas went back to Cyprus uh, with John Mark, and Paul went back over the land route, retracing the steps that they'd gone. And they went to, um, uh, to Lydia, and, and they... They visited, uh, they picked up Timothy, the young uh, disciple there, and they continued. And that's where we pick up in verse 6. They traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and they were kept from the Spirit by preaching the word in the province of Asia. Now, when you and I think about Asia, we think of uh, uh, where Russia, half of Russia is in Asia, and China, and India, and all of that. But really, on the, uh, uh, in the maps at this time, Asia was really... Um, eastern Turkey. So they wanted to go to the eastern part of Turkey on this mission trip. It was a natural consequence. They'd come up, they would just come right over. And that was a, just a great idea because at the, at, as part of Asia, you had the city of, of Ephesus. Ephesus was a tremendous city. It was a, a cultural and, and economic powerhouse. They had a tremendous temple there, a temple to Artemis, and a, a meteor had fallen from the heavens. And they had this in this temple. It was the, the high point of that city. And just, just imagine the effectiveness 
that Paul and his team would have had if they'd been able to get to that city and to branch out from there, they could reach the entire world. And so they're heading in that direction and the Holy Spirit says no. I don't know exactly how that happened, but can you imagine the the frustrations of the Apostle Paul? We want to reach people. You know, up to this point, he'd really just visited the churches they had already started and and helped to firm them up and to to encourage those brothers. And now he really wanted to share the gospel. He wanted to go, Paul had a heart for reaching people who'd not heard the gospel before. And he wanted to go on. But the Spirit said no. How, I I just, the the scripture doesn't say how the Spirit said no. I, I know how the Spirit probably didn't say no. And that was probably through difficulties. So often we look at difficulties, well, we got a flat, or they didn't like my cookies, or they're just not receptive, and we look at it as, well, that's a roadblock. That's a closed door, and so we're not going to go there. I, I don't think that was it. There were a lot of difficulties that the Apostle Paul encountered, and he kept on going. Uh, Henry Blackaby has... Uh, has written a lot about experiencing God and how you can know the will of God. He has four markers about how you can know the will of God. One of them is circumstances, because God sometimes does close doors, but we so often fall back on that. We miss what God is doing. The other is certainly the Word of God, God's Scriptures. Paul probably could have reviewed some of the Scriptures that he had learned as a child in the Old Testament about the difficulties that people had encountered and how God's gospel was for all of the nations. And then there's prayer. I'm sure that Paul was praying, Lord, I don't understand this. You want me to go on this mission. I'm absolutely convinced you want me to go on this missionary trip. We had tremendous success wherever we went last time. And now I, I just feel you telling me I can't go here. What's the deal? And certainly talking to, to fellow Christians, it may have been that as they sat around the campfire, you know, Paul was saying, you know, I'm, I'm feeling some uneasiness about the direction that we're heading, and I, I somehow just don't feel like we've got to go. And the, the other brothers would say, yes, I feel that too. Or, or maybe one of them had a prophetic word. God often spoke through prophets who would say, God's telling me this is not the direction to go. I don't know exactly how, we're not told, and so we don't really need to know. If we needed to know, we'd be told, right? So, so they said, okay, we can't go towards the west. We can't head towards this part of, of, of Asia and the big cities there and so on. So we'll go north. There's a lot of things up north. And so they, they started proceeding north. They, they just skirted around the edge of Asia and they, they head north. They were obedient to the Holy Spirit. And there were a lot of people to reach there. I mean, think about that. They could have gone into Russia. They could have reached those whole peoples and and maybe worked their way back east towards China and all of that. That would have been a tremendous opportunity. But the Scripture says the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Wow. The Holy Spirit says no. The the Spirit, it's interesting, the the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Jesus. My, uh, My sermon last week was on how the Holy Spirit elevates Jesus. The Holy Spirit explains Jesus. The Holy Spirit makes available to people the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's all about Jesus. So the Spirit of Jesus said, wouldn't allow them to. And again, I don't know exactly what that was like, but by now, can you imagine how frustrated the Apostle Paul is? You know, we came to do a work. We've got a message to share. 
God has done wonderful things in the past, and we want to see Him do more. We have a burden for every city that we're passing, and God is saying no. But they were obedient. Well, we can't go, can't go this way. We can't go that way. All right, we'll go north of Asia. And somehow they, they seem to have feel, felt a leading towards the west, not to Ephesus, but far north of there, just about as far north as you can get and still be in Turkey. And so they kept going, and finally they reached Troas. <laughs> I, I would have loved to see the expression on their faces when they said, okay, this is the sea. <laughs> We've reached the ocean. We've reached the Adriatic Sea. Now what? You can't go any further because there's, there's a barrier. What are we going to do? i tell you what they did. In verse 9, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Across that sea, On the other side of that barrier is what we would call Greece. It was, as as he looked out over the water, he would, if he could see that far, there would be Achaia, Greece, Macedonia, just to the north of that, that whole area we call modern day Greece. He goes to bed and the Holy Spirit works through a dream. And he, he sees a man of Macedonia. I don't know how he knew he was Macedonian. You know, he, I don't know that he had a team shirt on, the Macedonian Yankees. Um, I don't know if it was his dress or whatever. He'd encountered people from Macedonia before and their accent. Maybe they had a, you know, like, you know people from Long Island. Long Island. Because they have such an accent. It's just, you know they're from Long Island. Or maybe it was because he, he said, come over to Macedonia and help us. Maybe that's what clued him in. But he hears that, come over and help us. And I can imagine, I don't know if he got up in the middle of the night or the first thing in the morning around the campfire for breakfast, he said, guys, I've got it. The Lord showed me what we're supposed to do. This this sea is not a barrier. It's the avenue. It's the way that God wants us to go. We're to get on a ship and go across that sea and go to Macedonia. And I'm sure the rest of his team said, That makes sense. God would not have brought us this far to just leave us here at the edge of the water. He brought us here for a purpose because now we can get a ship and go to where we need to go. It all made sense. I find fascinating that the man of Macedonian, what did he say? He didn't say, come and preach to us. He didn't say, bring us the gospel. What did he say? He said, come and help us. And you know how Paul interprets that. We're going to preach the gospel to them. Because that's the the biggest and most important thing about missions, is you're helping people with the gospel. Now, most of the mission trips that I've been on have been to to benefit people, to help them, either um, uh, to encourage them, sometimes to entertain them, sometimes to feed them, sometimes to build something. And that's, you know, that's, that's very practical help. But ultimately that help is to help them eternally. 
with the good news, with the gospel, with the, the fact that Jesus loves them, that God has made a way for them to have peace with Him, for them to live eternally with their Heavenly Father. That's help. You know, we can do medical mission, missions, and that's so important. We have such an outreach with medical missionaries. And we could heal every single person in Africa of Ebola, and they're still going to die. They're eventually going to die. They need help of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Missions is defined as crossing a barrier to deliver the the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what missions is. Sometimes we do evangelism. Evangelism is just sharing the gospel with people that we know. Talking about how Jesus has been active in our lives and how he can help their lives. And hopefully getting an opportunity to explain what it really means through those four spiritual laws of the Roman road or whatever you use. Missions is like evangelism, but it always involves a barrier. Usually it's a physical barrier, like that sea that they they encountered at at Troas. Sometimes it's a a barrier of language or ethnicity. Um, You are a part of the most diverse denomination in the United States. We, we, in the SBC, we worship in more languages and races and cultures and uh, people groups than any other in the United States, except for Catholics. Catholics, they, they pretty well got that covered. They do a very good job of that. We have more churches. They're not as big. But anyway, we're not in a competition here. We're, we're really talking about we get to share the gospel across those barriers. And often the, 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 it's a barrier of distance. You have to go. What does the Great Commission says, say? Going. Make disciples of all nations. It doesn't say go, uh, sticking around. Make disciples of western New York. Or make disciples of Henrietta. Or Macomb County. It's going. Make disciples of all nations. Missions is, is what we're commissioned to do. You know, the gospel had to cross a barrier to get to you. One of the things that I'm so excited about this passage is the gospel had been delivered to the Middle East, right? Jesus was a Jew. The initial disciples were Jews. Samaritans were getting saved. Greek, the, um, uh, the Greek-speaking peoples were starting to get saved. But when they crossed over and they went to Macedonia, the first place they visited was Philippi. Now, Philippi was a Roman colony, but it was on the land of Europe. How many of you, in your way, in your background, have a European extraction? Somewhere way back there. And that's, that's true of me. Um, Charles is from the French. King Charles. Not from the English, because King Charles and the English, he didn't like Baptists a lot. He persecuted Baptists. Baptists were not really appreciated here in the United States. You understand that, right? There was an official state church, and if you didn't go to church, you got fined. And Lord help you if you encourage other people to not go to the official church and go to a Baptist church. I did some research last night on uh, William Screven. In his late 50s, he started a church in Maine, a Baptist church. There was really just one big Baptist church in the United States, and that was in Boston. 
I guess they allow stuff in Boston, even though the area around it with the Puritans and so on, the Congregationalists, they really kept a lid on things. And uh, the people in Kittery, Maine, did not appreciate William Screven and his church. He was jailed. He was fined. He was, to- he was told to sign a bond that said he would keep the peace, which means that he wouldn't do this radical stuff. You know, Baptists are part of the Radical Reformation, right? You know that. We're not part of the, the, the regular Reformation. We're the Radical Reformation. And they didn't like those radicals. Nobody ever does. And so, William Screven said, this just isn't working. At the age of 58, he said, I'm moving. The church had only been started for about a year. And he gave up. Well, he didn't quite give up. He said, I'm going to move to the south. <laughs> Sound like a familiar story? You get later in life and you decide, I'm going to move south. And, you know, Maine is a lot harsher than it is here, right? Well, I don't know, this year it might be a contest. Yeah. But um, he said, I'm moving to Maine. I'm moving down south and I'm to South Carolina. That's almost to Florida, you know. And uh, moving to South Carolina. His congregation said, Pastor, we're going with you. The whole church up and left Kittery, Maine and went to, um, to South Carolina. They went to, um, um, oh yeah, they went to Cooper Creek, South Carolina, which is just outside of what's modern-day Charleston or Charlestown. That's not the reason I'm sharing it with you. Um, but uh, Charlestown was really not a town at that point. As it grew larger, the church moved in and they formed this first Baptist church in the South. You know, you think the South is just full of Baptist churches. There's a Baptist church on every corner. There's Baptist churches all over the place. They were not allowed. They snuck in. And there were big arguments that went on about whether they're going to let them stay or not because the Carolinas, Carolina, that's from Charles again, and that's from the French side of Charles. They just weren't going to let them stay. And, and so they, they did stay and they did flourish. Every one of you became a Christian because somebody crossed a barrier. Someone did missions. They got the gospel to you. And I am so glad. It started with going into Philippi in Europe and it spread and here we are. Amen. I'm just so glad. Yes, there are large churches in the South. I grew up in the South. I'm a native of Pensacola, Florida. I was born in an SBC hospital. Uh, first first from my family born in a hospital, but uh, I have SBC on every cell of my body. My mom started me in cradle roll. I remember wanting to get that crackers and juice they did in the worship service. God made a change in my life at the age of seven. I was headed in one direction, and I suddenly got it. There was a Savior who had died for my sins. At the tender age of seven, for the first time in my life, I realized that someday I would die. And I wanted Jesus to be there to raise me out of that grave. I went forward and the pastor was very wise. He came by the house, talked to me and my parents. My, father, my stepfather was not saved. And um, in simple childlike faith, I trusted him. That, was, that, that has made all the difference in my life, that change. Another change that the Lord did was in, uh, in junior high school. My 
mother and stepfather had gotten divorced. Uh, she, was work, she was a working single mother, was gone a lot of the time, and we, we boys got into trouble. There were four of us boys and two girls. And instead of staying home and watching the, the girls, we went out and got into trouble. And um, at the age, of, in junior high school, I spent a week in the county jail, me and my brother. They were going to send us to the state boys' school. And my aunt and uncle from the neighboring county said, we'll take these boys in, we'll deal with them. And the judge said, fine, just don't let them come back to my county. My mom put the house for rent and we moved over, and my aunt and uncle. You see, another change of direction in my life. I was, I was headed where I wanted to go, and God sent me in another direction. I'm so grateful. My, my uncle Dick and my aunt Maddie, Uncle Dick passed away a few years ago, and he was just, he led my Sunday school class. He he helped me get back on the straight and narrow, just did tremendous things in my life. But another jog. In, uh, in college, I had it all figured out. I was going to be an electrical engineer. I would be designing circuitry, and uh, I took a computer course. The next semester, I took three computer courses, and I just had it all figured out where I was going to go. I met a girl who, who liked me, and that was a shock. We, we geeks and nerds aren't used to girls liking us. And so um, uh, we got engaged. She wasn't a Christian, wasn't interested in the Lord, was leading me further away from him. And then the, the summer between my sophomore and junior years, God got a hold of me. That's a whole other message. But he, helped, he rescued me from that girl and from a, just a hopeless marriage. I, mean, I look back at that... <laughs> This girl had emotional problems. It would have been really bad all the way around, aside from she wasn't a Christian. And God called me into the ministry. So I figured, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to change my major from computers. I'm going to go into psychology or history or something like that, something much more befitting a pastor. I had a commitment to the Army for ROTC, and um, I just felt the Lord saying, no, I've got another plan for you. I didn't know how I was going to finance things. It had been a great summer spiritually, but a lousy summer uh, monetary-wise. And so he, through miracles, got me back to school. And okay. So I, I went through the Army. God had me north of Detroit, Michigan. Pensacola, Florida, to Detroit, Michigan. The Army has a sense of humor. The first winter they were, we were there, we had three blizzards. And i got to tell you, from a boy from the Deep South, I'm thinking, these people are crazy. You can't live like this. You can't get down the road. You can't get out to get groceries. Why don't these people just move? This is insane. I am so glad I don't have to live here, because in four years, I'm going back down south. I'm going to go to seminary. And the Lord's going to call me somewhere south of the Mason-Dixon line where I won't have to shovel my driveway. That's a good plan. First semester at seminary. Had a revival meeting. In, um, in 19... Get this right. 1979, I had crossed this area on my way to Schenectady because that's where Kathy's sister and her husband lived. It was early October. We'd stop by Niagara Falls and... It was gray and cold and so on. You know, October, beginning of October in this area. And um, 
God laid it on my heart. I want you to go to New York. Okay, Lord. Not my plan, but yours. I told Kathy and she cried. I've got two little babies and God's going to send us to New York and my babies will, will get killed and I'll get mugged. She was thinking New York City, right? You understand? It never happened here. No, 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 no. And so another turn, God sent us in a different direction. Halfway, th- uh, halfway through seminary, I felt God call me to bivocational ministry. And I said, Lord, I'm going to a red brick Baptist church. Okay, I'm going up north. I probably don't have those. So I want you to be bivocational. I want you to have another job. And I, I really wrestle with that. Like, am I copping out? Am I, am I not trusting you that you can provide if I'm, a, if I'm a fully funded pastor? And I really wrestled with that. And, and God finally said, Steve, I can guide you. I know you and I understand you. I know what choice you're going to make before you make it. And if you'll just trust me to guide you and to lead you, I can do that. Okay, Lord. I had peace. Came up here in 1985 for the purpose of starting a church in the Pittsburgh, uh, Penfield, and Parenton area. We're going to call it Pepper Fellowship. Parenton, anyway. Yeah. And uh, I was working bivocationally, working 50, 60 hours a week at a, at a job, and um, really wasn't going real well. The fall of 86, got a call from this little unknown church in Canandaigua. could hardly say it. Um, and uh, they wanted me to supply preach. And so things weren't going well with the, the work that I was doing up here, and so I went down there and um, became interim pastor, and then I noticed the pulpit committee wasn't meeting anymore. They weren't listening to tapes, weren't reading resumes, and so we had the idea that maybe this is where God wanted us. And that was a stressful thing for me. Because remember, my plan was to start a church and to do this thing. Am I a failure? Because I haven't been able to do that, and God is calling me to something else. It was a real wrestling thing. We started them with that. When we started with them, they had the upper teens, low twenties, and that's with our family of four. And the church has gradually grown over the years. And and as I look out, you were about your size. So we've had more or less that sort of thing. I'm sure you have more or less on different Sundays. God is in charge, is He not? God can lead how God wants to lead. The Apostle Paul, can you imagine anyone more qualified to to know what to do in what situation? And still the Holy Spirit had to say, Stop, go, stop, go. This is it. Has God ever done that in your life? And I know that can be frustrating. I've been there. But that's how God works, isn't it? He's in charge. He wants to lead and direct your life. And I mentioned that you are are a mission field. You are in a mission field. I was uh, in the the South. The the SBC has a a definition for a mission field. And that is if 10% of the population is Southern Baptist, they're not a mission field. If they're less than 10%, SBC, then it is a mission field. 
Now, there, I've looked at figures of 25 years ago. I don't know what the current figures are, but um, I think Mississippi, one out of every three people is SBC. That's comfortable. Other places, it's one out of four. You know what it is here? In, I, I was able to find some figures for Monroe County. I don't know exactly how many that is. Um, in Monroe County, one out of... All right, it's 0.7%. How does that work out? That's less than one in a hundred. And, and you might be thinking, and rightly so, there are other evangelical churches. There are other churches who are preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be Southern Baptist to go to heaven. I do think we'll have our own section up in heaven with little signs that say, be quiet because the Southern Baptists don't know the rest of you are here. That was funnier in my head. Anyway, um, guess how many evangelicals there are here? Do you know, first let's just start, start there, do you know that almost half the people in Monroe County don't go to church? They're not affiliated with the church. A lot of people are affiliated with the church, they just don't go. They're not even affiliated with the church. Almost half. 54% go to church. Or belong to a church, let's say that, because they, they don't like exactly go. 65% of those, you might guess, are Catholic. But again, that's like a third of the people belong to a Catholic church. They may have been baptized there. They may be buried there. They may be married there. But do they go? Are they hearing the Bible? Evangelicals make up 7. Point, uh, let me get this right. 7.9%, about 8% of the church-going population. You've got to divide that in half, right? 4% of Monroe County go to an evangelical church where Jesus Christ is preached as the way to salvation. Does that bother you? That bothers me. Think if we applied that 10%. Um, uh, Henrietta has about 42,500. Maybe that number has been adjusted since I found it. But uh, that would mean that how many SBC, if you just hit that 10% threshold, you'd have 4,500 and something people going to Southern Baptist churches. How many Southern Baptist churches are in Henrietta? I think I'm looking at it. <laughs> That's a lot of people. And, and you, got, you guys want to be a mega church of four or 5,000 people? Maybe, maybe not. We've decided the most we'll grow is 500. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, how many churches would that be if you were a 500-member church? That would be like nine churches. In Henrietta. Oh, we don't want nine churches. We want them to come to our church. You want to be 5,000 people in a church? Or you want a lot of churches? You can't have it both. Oh, oh, there is another choice. You can let them die and go to hell. That's a choice. We don't need to get people in church. We don't need to share them the good news of Jesus Christ. We don't need to get them into fellowship that will help them to grow and, and be strong. And I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm being hard on you guys, but I'm just as hard on, on my congregation. Uh, Canandaigua has 12,000 people. 1,200. That means we would need three churches in the city limits of Canandaigua. You think my church is, is comfortable with that? 
We're barely, you know, do, you know, growing the way we are. There's a barrier. God always calls you to cross a barrier. I don't have time to go through the various mission trips that our church has been on, but I understand that your church is going on a mission trip. And what's the barrier? I think it's somewhat geographical. You may get down there and discover its language as well. I remember my first week here, I, I caught the bus from Penfield where I was living and went into Rochester. I got on the bus, I paid my money, I, it was a nice bus ride. I got to work, I did my stuff, I came back to the bus, at, at the buses at, at Midtown, find the right one, and I went to pay my money and the, the, uh, the, the bus driver said, pay me to get off. And I said, what? Pay me to get off. <laughs> and I said, I am in a different culture. I'm in a different land. I do not understand. And I just had to say, could you say that a little slower? And you know what he said. He said, pay when you get off. You may discover <laughs> that it's hard to understand the language when you go down there. But also, you Yankees will be looked at with some suspicion. Because the Civil War, we call the War of Northern Aggression. Or our recent troubles. <laughs> but it's a barrier and you're going and I'm so proud of you. That's, the, that's what gives a church life and being and breath. It's, it's something bigger than what you're doing here on Calkins Road. You're a part of a worldwide mission to reach the world with Jesus Christ. So how does God want to... You know, I started out by saying the Apostle Paul and his team, they were going here and they were stopped and we, we kind of reviewed internally some of those roadblocks that you encounter as well. Is God in charge of your life? Is he allowed to put up roadblocks whenever and wherever he wants? And your job is to figure out how is the Holy Spirit leading? What does he want to do next? Is he, does he have that much control over your life? Or are you really saying, I've got it figured out. I kind of know what I'm doing and where I'm going. And, and God, if you can fit into that, that'll be okay with me. Or is he really in charge? Can he change your direction from that comfortable, predictable way that you're going? Can he just totally turn it totally around? What barrier are you crossing to bring the gospel? I know it's hard to share the gospel with your family. That's not a real barrier even. Or at work, you're just there every day. What barriers are you as an individual crossing to bring the gospel? When do you get around people who aren't like you and try to get a word in edgewise? How can you help Harvest Bible Fellowship to be more effective in sharing the gospel? and doing its mission. You might go yourself. You know, as mission trips go, it is a distance. I understand you might have to sleep on the floor from what Pastor Kent... Oh, maybe he didn't tell you that yet. Oh, boy. Uh, it might be uncomfortable. It might be a challenge. But as mission trips go, it's a good one. It's the same language, uh, fairly. Um, people down south, they are very friendly, and they will welcome Should you go? Ask the Lord. Have the courage to say, Lord, this is happening in the summer. Does that include me? You're in charge. You call the shots. 
Maybe it's not this summer to go. God makes it clear to you. Maybe you can give. There'll be a lot of fundraisers, a lot of car washes and other things, some special offerings, I imagine. And you can give to make sure that your church, your brothers and sisters are effective at crossing this barrier. And maybe it's encouraging. You know somebody is going. I think that's great. I wish I could go. I wish, I, I wish God had given me the freedom to go, but, but he's sending you and I'm right behind you. I'm going to encourage you and build you up. When William Carey, who was the first Baptist missionary to India, um, actually he went to Ceylon first, and he went and he said, I'm going into the well, but you've got to hold the ropes. You'll be holding the rope for those who are doing that mission and encouraging them and praying for them. And certainly prayer. Make it an item of your prayer life. God, you, you change the direction of the Apostle Paul. What change do you want to make in, in my direction? How do you want me to be involved in the mission of the church that you've placed me in? Where am I going? I guess it all gets back to, is he in charge of your life? Is he directing your mission? Let's pray.